בלה 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 מיקרופון זה מנדס Hey everybody, it's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney, over there is Steve. Hey. And today we are talking the second half of Griot's Sisters of the Spear. Um, what do you think, Steve? Did the action just keep on rolling? Man, it just got better. They, they kicked it up a notch. It was like, the, yeah, we got to the halfway point of the book and it's just like, just kicking I mean, in overdrive. Yeah, really, it, they kept on getting better. And then you had that last story by Milton Davis. And I think really that was the beginning of the overdrive right there. Mm-hmm. Because after that, it just kept on like, boom, 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 boom. Mm-hmm. You had the, I mean, it was breakneck. These were really long stories. And I, most of them. And I felt like I was breezing through them because they were really good. Yeah, the second half of the book, um, Yeah, a lot of these stories, you know, seem to be paced really well. Like you're you. It's the downhill side of the book, but not downhill as in quality wise as downhill as you, you run faster, you run downhill. faster going downhill. Yeah. And we start with Vengeance by Rebecca McFarlane Kyle. Now, I thought this one was a bit slow on the uptake. It kind of took a little bit to figure out what the situation was. Mm-hmm. Um, once you got, you got your bearings, though, it really kicked into overdrive. Yeah, I was, I was very satisfied with the ending of this story. Yeah. So um, you basically have a, a retinue of women and their retainers who are on their way To present um, one of them mm-hmm. as the new princess yes the neighboring kingdom just you know solidify their pact their political alliance um, the main character is her half sister is not very clear um, they definitely were trained by the same master who mm-hmm. was her father but And uh, she is having an affair with um, her friend's husband-to-be. Yes. And we join them as they are waking up aboard a slaver's vessel. Their, their own ship had been attacked. Yes. Um, all but the three of them killed. Mm-hmm. Um, our main character wakes up. Her half-sister is about to be... raped and you know it's like we go from there it's a good thing she's a sorceress yes a fire sorceress yes, you sadly to... the wrong person to have on a boat in the middle of the ocean right <laughs> and, and really the wrong person to rape her friend in front of oh yes <laughs> And, and being a fire sorceress she is she is hot-headed um, you know, she's very um, in touch with the element that she controls her half-sister and uh, the other princess um, 
have both been educated in the ways of earth magic. Right. And they have calmer, cooler personalities. Yes. And exactly. there's there's automatically conflict there because of just the, the elemental representation. Right. Well, that and, and she's having an affair with, with um, her friend's husband-to-be. Mm-hmm. The thing I really enjoyed about this was the protagonist wasn't necessarily on board with what was right. Right. During this entire thing, she was an unreliable narrator because the whole, the whole thing is written in her, not only from her point of view, but in her head. Mm-hmm. And she's not, she's not thinking the most purest of thoughts. Correct. And there are some political intrigues. It turns out that uh, someone within the court hired the slavers yeah, because they found a special set of coins that only three people have. Yeah, the king himself, the princess. Coins for the wedding. And the prince. Yeah. And so through process of elimination, it is determined that the prince is the traitor. Which and, our protagonist can't have because she's in love with him. Yep, she's in love with him. Um, and he would never do that to her. Right. And she's also pregnant. Yep. Yes, she is. So they so, get rescued mm-hmm. uh, by traitors. Not traitors, but traitors. Mm-hmm. And um, convince these traitors to take them to where they were originally going. To the kingdom of kingdomness. That's right. We'll give you three thousand now and fifteen thousand once we get to Alderaan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and once we get there, once once we get there, things start unfolding. Yeah. But once once we arrive, things start progressing at a very rapid pace. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the truth comes out. And it turns out that the prince has been eliminating all of his rivals, whether they are his siblings or Cousins. You know, just random people. You know, you look at him funny, he's like kill them. Yeah, he's, he's very he's, much. He's very much Joffrey. He's a Machiavellian bastard. Yes, and he gets what is coming to him. Yeah. So well. Yes. Because, I mean, then he just turns around in, like, super villain fashion. He gets he accused. Sneak out. He, yeah, <laughs> he, yeah. Well, he gets accused, and then he's like, yeah, I did it. Hey, look at that over there. And tries to sneak off. It was like, uh, remember in uh, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire during the trial where, um, what's his name? A tenant. Mm-hmm. They're basically about to accuse him, and he gets up and starts sneaking away. (laughs) That's exactly what happens. That's how it went down. And it's like, well, you're trying to run away. You must be guilty. (laughs) Why, yes, I am. Yes, but you know, no court will convict me. Uh, Yeah, we will. You're convicted, pal. Now, his father, the king, is there, and I think that. he might have gotten away with it, but 
he killed the king's favorite son. Mm -hmm. As a baby. As, yeah, who everybody loved. Mm -hmm. And then was also responsible for our, our heroine to have a miscarriage. Yes. Now, that was a little hokey, I thought. Yeah. But I think um, I think that's a little. I mean, that kind of implied that the prince had a little bit of his own powers, right? And that you know he's like she gets back and it's like kills the kid, and that's you know basically sets up that's like the final clinching proof, right? That yeah, well you know there you go. He's got fucking motive. Because he yep. just did it right here in front of all of us. Yep. And our our heroes, you know, he gets a choice because you know the other guy that was involved, the slaver captain, you know, was burned alive from the inside. Yeah. And he's like, "Look, dude, you got a choice. You want the spear, or you want the fire." Which one you want? And he's like, well, I guess I'll take the spear. Very sensible. Because the guy who was going to administer the fire was our hero's father. Mm -hmm. Whose grandchild you just killed. <laughs> and you just and he, he just like burned the man alive from the inside yeah. with white hot flames. Which he didn't, you know, our, our, our main character, her fire manifests, you know, through her hands. She has to move her hands. He just, like, looked at the dude, and his inside started burning. Sparky, sparky, boom, man. Yes. But we get that, we get that one little bit of kind of cosmic retribution in that um, our fire witch is the one who gets to kill him. Because, because his most recent action affected her directly. Right. And the most. And the most. Um, because she, he, he betrayed her more than anyone. Yeah. Well, a lot of these stories have that sense of balancing the scales. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily always in the direction of the protagonists. Um, looking at the night, the nightwife there, mm -hmm. but you, you get the there's a big sense of cosmic justice right. at work in a lot of these stories. Mm -hmm. Villains get their comeuppance. The heroes get their comeuppance because our heroes are not always heroes. Right. Now, the next story on the list is death and honor. By Ronald T. Jones. Um, this is an interesting story because it seems like it it's it's another one of those slice of a much larger narrative type of stories, mm -hmm. and we really kind of get to we get to see it at the end, effectively. Right. So you have a war that is going on. <clears throat> mm -hmm. And our protagonist is general. She yep. is a, she is a general of uh, the first army of the Goyo Kingdom. 
Yeah, her name is uh, Kiersey. Uh, she is an outsider. She's from a different country altogether. Possibly. Uh, yeah, she came in. Uh, she was adopted by her now second in command, trained as a warrior because that's what she wanted to be. Um, and she comes from a society where women don't do these sorts of things. Now, when it opens up, the shit is about to go down in this war. That's because right. The other side has gotten some demons mm-hmm. to fight on their side. And let me tell you, I know how that feels. <laughs> Right, and they're preparing for the the big climactic battle. And at that point in time, she has this pendant that starts vibrating. She's got shit to do. And, you know, she's being called to to this location, and her her guardian second-in-command is like, oh, look, dude, not right now. This is too too big, this is too important. Right. You know. And she kind of says, you know, when this is it, I have to do it. Right. I have to do it. I have to do it alone. It's a, this mm-hmm. big onus that's on her. Right. So she leaves her instructions. She leaves her battle plan. And she leaves specific orders. Do not follow me. Mm-hmm. Or I'm going. You cannot follow. That's right. She's traveling along. Traveling along, and the, the necklace is guiding her. She finally comes to this burned-out ruin, and she is confronted by a quartet of riders. Yes. And her necklace is really thrumming, and she has a spectacular battle. It's a knockdown dragout. Might be the best battle in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's it's a good. I would say, you know, third to quarter of the story, or quarter to third of the story, you know, is this battle sequence. Yeah, well, that's the whole point of the story is this battle. Mm-hmm. So she she ends up battling these guys, and she come to find out that um, you had mentioned that women aren't allowed to be warriors in her where she comes from. Well, these are the warriors, right? Who are deeply offended by yeah. her actions. Right. And they've come to kill her. Right. For becoming for honor. For honor, death and honor. Mm-hmm. Well, they're her brothers and her dad. Yep. <laughs> so it's like one of those uh, honor killing type of situations. Right. You, you've disgraced our family, and now the only way we can get our honor back is to kill you. Yeah, we don't care that you move like hundreds of miles away. <laughs> right. We don't care you live on a different continent now. And we don't care how good you are at what you do. Mm-hmm. Because she is general of an army. Yep. But, yeah, it's, it doesn't matter. You, know, you, you wanted to be a warrior in our society and our society does not do that. So, yeah, your ass is toast. Yes. Uh, meanwhile, while she's she, As, she makes her way through her two non magically trained brothers, yeah, she makes short work of them. Fairly easy. Um, she then must fight her brother, who is trained in magic as well as combat. Now, it is said that that for all this talk of honor that her family is saying, mm-hmm. they fight her like a bunch of punks. 
Oh yeah. They they do not extend to her the honor that they claim because she has no honor. Right. But they fight her like punks. They gang up on her. They cheat. Mm. Yep. They do. They do. Um, yeah. She she ends up fighting. You know, kill it and and figuring out a way to defeat her magic using brother. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she must fight her father, who apparently is supremely badass. The real deal. Right. Her father's basically evil Yoda. Right. Um, and as they're fighting, the the battle has attracted the attention of the monsters. Yes. And so her, Kiersey uh, and her father are attacked by the monsters, so they have to fight off the monsters. Um, and they, they realize that the horror that of the scene that they're fighting in, this burnt-out ruin with bodies strewn around, is because of the monsters they had attacked this village prior to this battle sequence. Right. So... They, they fight the monsters together because they they have to. It's like, hey, this is this is a family discussion, <laughs> right? And she uses that to her advantage. Mm-hmm. And uh, she ends up defeating her old man um, when he becomes distracted by the army of monsters that are barreling down on them after the initial defeat of the five advanced scouts. Right. However, he tried to also take advantage of her when she was pinned up underneath one. Right. To deliver a coup de grace and just finish it off right there. But she was a little too good for that. Then then he begs for for a, a swift death as opposed to being eaten by monsters like the punk he really is. Right. And, and so she, she grants it to him. Unfortunately, she should have let him suffer. <laughs> and here she is, alone, confronting a an army of monsters. Just her and her now dead father's sword in her hand. Right. Whose last words to her were basically like, good job, but you know, we have a big family. <laughs> right. <laughs> They'll keep coming for you. Let them come. Unless I get killed by all these monsters, and then which is going to be a moot point anyway. Well, how would they know? Oh, they have probably the jewels too. So she's facing the monsters. She's committed to dying. Ready to go. Ready to go. And then next thing you know, the cavalry comes in. Arrows are flying everywhere. I thought I told you not to follow. I was like, well, I didn't follow you. We just got information that the troop movements were happening to just happened to be this way. <laughs> yes, yes. A very, very fitting ending. Oh, yeah. It, it was very, it, it, it had a very happy ending as opposed to some of these stories that have and more, more of a, a melancholy or somber ending. Yeah, it wasn't this, a hokey happy ending either. It was definitely, well, it was a little hokey. But, yeah, it was the, the back-slapping, you know, freeze-frame roll credits. I, I didn't follow you. I, I guess that's a little... It makes sense in the context of the story, but yeah, it's a little hokey. Yeah, a little hokey, but it, it worked. For some reason, it worked. 
wasn't quite as satisfying as the end of Vengeance, but still, you know, it was yeah. like, you know, I'll buy that for a dollar. Yeah, exactly. The next story on the list is Queen of the Sapphire Coast by Linda McCauley. And my first note here is pirates, exclamation point. Yeah. Mine is pulp adventure at its finest. Oh, yes. This is this is a classic example of, of pulp and, and even weird fiction. Oh, yeah. Um, you, have, you have a crumbling lost city with a mysterious treasure. Mm-hmm. You have creatures who are... You know, a dying civilization. Yeah. Pirates. Yeah. And a mysterious foreigner mm-hmm. who, who dies before he can divulge all the information about the, the situation. Right. Exactly. And then our foolhardy band of adventurers. Yeah. I mean, this is like, you know, let's check this shit out. The savage queen of the Sapphire Coast. Mm hmm. <laughs> she's not all that savage. No. I mean, well, I mean it's got like man. that. It's got that like savage quality to it, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. It does. It has. It's very much. It, it, it has a kind of a phantom kind of feel to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah what we have, we have a pirate queen. Uh, her name is uh, Kala or Kayla. Uh, she, you know, came from. A country. She was captured by slaves. She managed to escape and pretty much dedicated the rest of her life to making life absolutely miserable for these slavers. Right. And apparently it's one of these countries, you know, the slavers come from a country where anybody from that country is a fucking slave. Yeah, like the United States. Yeah, kind of. So she has sworn to destroy. She has earned this reputation as a supreme badass and the queen of the pirates for, you know, her personal vendetta and war against these slavers. So they they come on this island that is rumored to have cannibal activity. Yeah, because there are cannibals all up and down this archipelago. Thank you. So now normally she would pass by, but there's a fire signal fire and a lone figure on the beach and she mm-hmm. thinks that oh well that might be slavers and then they go wait a minute that's a white dude interesting and so then they, they go wait a minute it's a white dude on a crutch <laughs> so they go to check it out and it turns out that the white dude was part of um, a mercenary or not mer- a, a merchant vessel mm-hmm. um that got stranded on this island. Mm-hmm. And they found a lost city dun, 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 full of treasure. Dun, 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 dun. Dun. But I'm the only one who made it out. <laughs> right. So you have lost city, you have treasure in some unknown danger. But there's cannibals all over the place and we can handle cannibals. They're just white. They don't know what they're doing. Pretty much. You know, the foreigners, they don't understand. Yeah, so that, that's how this pans out. So they decide, let's go get this fucking treasure. Yeah, go get some of the guys. Tell them to strap up, and uh, we'll we'll take a quick look, see, and see what's going on. Like, I don't know. I got a bad feeling about this. It's like, hey, 
it's a fucking ruin in a jungle. What's the problem? Trust me. It's me. And and so we go into the jungle with our with our fourteen men. And yeah, it, they they come in and and they are looking around. They're discovering, you know, that this is you know the ruins of a city that was you know founded by the serpent people who were exiled from the continent long ago. Right. They see a big statue of a serpent person mm-hmm. who could be a serpent person god, goddess. It was a woman or a serpent person royalty or. Who knows? Right. The, the serpent people were were exterminated eons ago. Mm-hmm. And then all hell breaks loose. Yes. At first, there's no treasure. But then they see little baubles lying around randomly. Mm-hmm. But not, now, when I say baubles, I mean like baubles that are worth a lot. Right. Gold and pearls and tons of precious stones. I mean, it's a treasure. Mm-hmm. But it's not treasure. It's jewelry. Yeah. Worn by the serpent people who have the abilities. I kind of imagined it as being like, you know, the predator. Yeah, that's kind of how I figured it would be. They, they blend in. They blend. They blend in with the environment. So, you know, you have this struggle against a, an opponent you really can't see. They they become visible once they die. And one by one, they start to they start to kill the pirates. Yep. And by the time we get to the the grand climax, we are at two: our hero and her boyfriend. Her boyfriend, her second in command. And they are pinned on this altar or pedestal that once held the statue of the serpent, person, goddess, or royalty. Right. So then she tries a little bit of fast talk. Mm-hmm. And you come to find out that these are the last remnants of the serpent people. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot of them. And they can't breed anymore. So, you know, this is yeah, it. The entire, the entire tribe is all female. And they just want to be left alone. Mm-hmm. And she says, well, we're not going to tell anybody. Right. Famous last words. Well, yeah, maybe, but we can't really. What proof do we have that you're not going to tell anybody? Mm-hmm. So they're, they're at a standoff. Right. And more men from the boat have come in. More men show up to be slaughtered. Now, this is how she proves it. They come in. Said, we were worried about you. And she says, well, you know, we looked around. There's nothing here. Let's just go. Oh, what about all these dead guys? Oh, cannibals. Yeah, cannibals. And that's the proof. She didn't tell her men. Mm-hmm. And the serpent people are left in peace. Yes. And that's that's what made it the great old-fashioned pulp story that it was. I mean, yeah, you get like this Pirate victory, mm-hmm. um, where the the end sum is really zero, mm-hmm. which is how those classic pulp stories always end. Yes, 
nothing to show for your adventure. Nothing to show for your adventure but the experience points. Yes. And I'm sure you get a lot of experience points for fighting lizard people. And so we've gone from, we go from the classic pulp adventure to cosmic horror. Yeah. With Ghost Marriage by P. DeJelly Clark. Yeah. You know, we're, 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 we open in a wasteland. Um, our, our heroine is being attacked by slavers. It's always slavers. Uh, when, when things look their grimmest, something comes along and just like obliterates the slavers. Mm-hmm. And it turns out it's her ghost, the spirit of her dead husband. And we go through some backstory. We find out that that you know this this guy, you know, they were arranging the marriage. The dowry was being paid, and there was some you know just some back and forth. She turned out she really liked the guy, but he didn't. He died fairly early in their marriage. Yeah, ignored by a, a fairly unique bull, mm-hmm. bull, very expensive bull. Yes. And there's only two of them in the world, and they were they were uh, brothers. Mm-hmm. And so, one of the rituals of her tribe is that you know when your husband dies, they bind his spirit to you, mm-hmm. and they call it the the ghost marriage. Right. So she ends up getting married to her husband's brother mm-hmm. as the physical marriage, but she is bound spiritually to her dead husband. Correct. However, bad things start happening around her brother. Her dead husband turns into a serial killer. Right. Effectively just starts killing anyone associated with with her remarrying. Yes. And she becomes an outcast. And she has to flee. And she, has to, she has to flee because just the more she hangs around, the more people end up dying. Right. So it was either her or them and so they said her right they her mother-in-law her. her mother-in-law basically got her out yeah it says here's some food here's some water you know go home go find the the weird woman who could uh cure you of this mm-hmm. so she goes on a quest to find the weird woman who can unbind her or at least tell her why her husband has gone completely psycho right and she does, with the help of the cow that killed her husband. Yes, the the cow comes by, and, and she ends up with the weird woman. She ends up waking up with the weird woman because mm-hmm. she passed out in the desert. Right. And the weird woman says, yeah, the cow brought you here. The cow killed my husband. Well, the cow feels bad about that. <laughs> right. Wants to help. That uh, the cow, see, part of your dowry was his brother, and he missed his brother a lot. He didn't mean to kill your husband. He just kind of wanted to knock him around a little. Right. <laughs> but didn't know his own strength. So, and, and so totally his old hero, who is named uh, Ajin. Ayan? Yeah, who says, or Ayan, yeah. Ayan. Yeah, my handwriting messed up there. Um, I said, what the fuck are you talking about, lady? 
He just want the bull just wants you to forgive him. No, I don't forgive the bull. Fuck that motherfucker. Yeah, but I can totally cure you. Yeah, this is what we got to do. Ghosts love to look at themselves in the mirror, so we'll get a mirror. We'll trap him in here, and uh, yeah, we'll put him in the body of this mouse, and I'll kill the mouse, and everything will be fine. Yeah. Well, easy peasy. In in classic John Constantine slash cosmic horror fashion, everything's not fine. Yes, because before the mouse looks into the mirror, the weird woman gazes into the mirror. Nope. Before the mouse looks into the mirror, the mirror shatters as the spirit is too strong to be held in the mirror. Okay. And The upshot is she ends up looking at it before the mouse does. Mm-hmm. It enters her body. Um and just completely just beats the living crap out of her. Oh, you find out it's not even her husband. It's not even her husband. It's a thing called Nameless, which is this elder thing from before the dawn of time uh, driven out of this world. Locked in another dimension? And wants to come back. Locked so, in another dimension, waiting until the stars are right for it to be able to come back. Yep, and found the perfect host in uh, in her dead husband. This has turned into very familiar territory. <laughs> yep, but so, there's but there's a twist. Right, the spirit follows her along, basically drags her out into the wasteland to where it's. Secret City Woods was. Yeah, she takes it to to the their version of Rilia. Yep. And the and city she, begins to rise. She sees what would hap- what happens as he grows more powerful and he becomes more substantial and the city becomes more substantial and the horrors that are contained therein. Mm-hmm. And the cow says, hey, I got an idea, pal. Let's do the same trick. This time, put the spirit in me. And, and then, then kill me. To atone for killing her husband. Mm-hmm. Which is an interesting little twist on on yeah. how that goes down. Because usually how this goes down is that nameless city materializes... Mm-hmm. And darkness falls across the land, and this protagonist goes insane. It's bad, and we were actually reading this as a letter written, right? <laughs> and and found by a janitor. It was a motel room in Cleveland. It was carved in pictographs in the dried lake bed, right? Found by an archaeologist who goes insane, right? who sends it to his brother, who also goes insane, right. kills himself in a hotel room, and then the Addicted maid... Right. The maid comes in to clean up the room after the suicide and finds the notes. And that's how we hear about it. But no, in this this particular situation, you know, we use the the ancient powerful magic that the, the blood sorceress um, used all the time. And... 
manages to drive back the darkness for an unknown period of time. Yes, the cow saves the day. The cow saves the day. So it's a story of sacrifice and tentacle creatures. Well, there weren't technically there were no tentacles. No, but still. You knew there were tentacles there though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were implied tentacles. Implied tentacles. <laughs> still it was very well done. Yes, it was a very good story. It was yeah. it was a nice twist on a familiar theme. Mm-hmm. It was. Next up on the list is Raiders Raiders of the the Sky by Cynthia Ward. Um, This was this is really interesting because it also has that kind of, you know, um, cosmic horror sense of strange, uh, you know, strange city that is a portent of doom uh, rises and starts heading toward. You know the civilized lands, right? Um, but there's there's a twist because uh, our narrator's sister, who is the war chief of the of the village, says, "No, we're not just going to like sit here and wait for the world to end. We're gonna we're gonna fight. We're gonna go and we're gonna parlay and we're gonna like give us some cows and stuff." So they get on the boat. They go out into the ocean. They have a parlay with the residents who are winged men yeah. in trilbies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they they make this outrageous, you know, demand of tribute. They want a thousand pounds of gold, a thousand barrels of water, a thousand women. A thousand barrels of, of uh, olive oil. Yeah. And everything is a thousand. I want you. Right. The prince of the flying men says, tells the war chiefs, like, and you, baby, you, me, olive oil, mm-hmm. flying <laughs> island, some Isaac Hayes, you know, and that's what it will take to leave, uh, leave your people alone. So she said, yeah. So she says, yeah, that's cool. And her brother's like, what, are you fucking insane? Fight him. You're going to fight him. It's like, why don't you go to the fort where our little sister is being staying and just make, leave this to me. I know what I'm sure doing. Make sure nothing happens to her. Right. And it turns out that all of the war chief's plan is this clever of, of offering the tribute is this clever ruse to fucking take over the entire flying island. Right. Now, a little backstory. Mm-hmm. They, the, the protagonists come from a civilization that is a decayed remnant of a much greater civilization mm-hmm. that had collapsed. Correct. And the sorcerers of this much great of this older, greater civilization were were powerful, and they had powerful talismans mm-hmm. to focus their sorcery. But there hasn't been any talismans like this since the fall of the previous civilization. So any sorcery has just been weak. We're parlor tricks at best. Yes. Well, she reasons that the city itself, this floating city, is just one big talisman. And if she can get a sorcerer close enough to it, 
they can do something. Mm -hmm. Her little sister is a sorcerer. Yes. They don't tell the brother this. No, because the brother is a merchant. He's a merchant. He's not a warrior. And it's a good thing they didn't because... Well, he's also a man, and this is a matriarchal society. Yeah, he would have blabbed the minute he's... that the prince said, and I want you too. He would have said, no, no, no. He would have spilled the beans. You get right. that feeling. Right. That he would have cracked. Yeah. And so the sisters but, take over the island. Um, she, the youngest she, sister engages in a wizard's duel with the king of the island yeah. and just stomps him into the ground. Um, Immediately, all of the winged men just stop what they're doing and say, "You're the queen." That's yeah, definitely very flying monkey-ish. Mm-hmm. The end of the Wizard of Oz. You killed her. Hail Dorothy! And so they run to where it is to find to find uh, their main, the biggest sister, Amala, and. She's there. She's you know holding the still dripping head of the prince. You knew that was happening. <laughs> yeah, because she's like, but she's also pregnant, and you know they're like, look, this is a great opportunity to discover the world, um, to find the to understand the mysteries of this civilization, and it becomes and to bring up. Bring, a quest of conquest to a quest of knowledge. Well, I think she also wants to bring the their civilization back to its former glory. Mm-hmm. That is implied conquest. Right. Now they have the ultimate weapon. And they can build their civilization back up to where it once was. Mm-hmm. I, I really like the way this one, this one worked out, too. I mean, this is like three, you know, Classic old school pulp stories. Yeah. Right back to back. And then we are followed, um, follow up with some new school pulp story is uh, Brewed by Balagono Jatade. A friend of the show. Friend of the show. And, uh, and yeah, and this is another um, cosmic horror. Yeah. And yeah. Ojitade really does horror very well. Mm-hmm. Um, we, a, we read Beneath the Shining Jewel, and that was great. And he, he has a very good way of uh, blending suspense and action. Yes. That, that not a lot of people can do that with the delicacy and the talent that um, Balagan. And this is one of the it. shortest stories in the book. It is. And Balagun has this, this way with words that he is very, very efficient Yes, in his storytelling style. Now, a lot are, happens in these few pages. Yeah. Now, these are characters, or at least one of them is a character um, from Once Upon a Time in Africa. So this is part of, of his um, non-Kikanga His broader opus yeah. of work. Yes, we have War Mistress Oya Bakken. Who's the re- reoccurring character. And she is like a martial arts master. Yeah, which and, is funny because so is 
Balaganojitane. Yes. Now, in true martial arts master style, um, you know, Oya, we're just going to call her Oya, is she's not only, you know, master of the arts of war, she's also, she understands things like medicine, she understands the supernatural, she's, you know, it's it's that warrior priest ideal. Right. They, they Back in the days when, when martial arts um, masters were liberal arts students. Mm-hmm. A little bit and, of everything. And the one thing you were mentioning, you were mentioning about his blending of horror into, into these, these stories is that he doesn't go with the, the weirdness of say ghost marriage where, you know, you have this horrible, uh, you know, cosmic monster. Right. You know, Balagun takes the, the, some of the basic horror tropes beneath the shining jewel was a twist on zombies. Right. This one is, has almost a Rosemary's baby Damien, the omen kind of feel to it. Right. It's very personal mm-hmm. um, horror as opposed to that. Right. But and, and but the thing is though, how it all pans out, it's definitely cosmic horror. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's more of a personal take on it than you, you get with something like what you're what you're normally used to with cosmic horror. You there's that indifference isn't necessarily there mm-hmm. because you see how something affects individuals instead of great swaths of people. Right. And, you know, Oya's solution to the possession of the, the queen, um, a demon or evil spirit, has you know, taken possession of the child in her womb. Technically, I think she was a king. Oh, king. I'm sorry. She was the king. Um, so Oya's answer to the situation is to uh, trip balls, go into the spirit world and kick this thing's ass. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it is the most direct way of dealing with it um, that, yeah. that you hear. So it's you know, very, very Dr. Strange kind of situation going on. Um, so she does, she goes in to the spirit world she finds, um, you know, the spirit of the new baby who is an old man in the spirit world. You have right. to die in the spirit world to be reborn. Um, and she confronts the demon and kicks its ass. But it's the encounter she, itself is very brief. But, but not only does very she intense. Not only does she kick its ass, but she has to, you know, convince. The, the the old man slash baby mm-hmm. um, of what's really going on. So, yes, she has to, to beat it within an inch of its supernatural life, but she also has to win the battle on a um, on a intellectual level. Yeah, on an intellectual level as well. Mm-hmm. And she does. Yeah. She's... And so, Oya wakes up victorious and 
you know, she's getting ready to go. And the king stops her and says, wait, there's one more thing you have to do. Whoa, what's that? My water just broke. You got to help me get to <laughs> It's a coming. <laughs> and, and that also shows, that also shows Balogun's other talent is writing comedy. Yeah, he, he definitely has a knack for that. Because Oya herself is a, is a smart alecky character. Yeah. And, you know, to, to have this story that is effectively a horror story end on this kind of this lighter note where where the king says you know you got to help me have this baby and you almost get that that sense that you know at that point in time this like the entire cast that's in the room kind of looks back at the camera and you know you you get that kind of uh, fourth wall breaking moment right roll credits Mm mm-hmm but yeah, I kind of I really enjoyed how this one actually ended on a joke. Right. You can actually have or a, a light, a, very light moment. Have a half hour comedy series of like horror comedy series. Once upon a time in Africa, mm-hmm. written by Balagano Chitati. I'd, I'd watch it. <laughs> oh yeah, Netflix. If you're paying attention, that's right. <laughs> get, get in touch with Balagun and uh, make this happen. Next up on the list is Valjean Jeffers, The Sickness. Now, here's another recurring character. This is Nandi from the first Griots yep. anthology. Uh, you know, she, she returns, and, you know, she's got to, once again, you know, battle for the fate of her country. Mm-hmm. This time, an illness has beset all of her people she is the only one immune because and, she is the chosen of Ogun right and she is blamed for it mm-hmm. and she's stripped of her warrior of her rank, rank and titles and possessions she's banished and exiled and Ogun comes to her and says hey I need your help again and together they go into the spirit world. Yep. You get a vision quest in this one. Mm-hmm. And she confronts the wizard. Once again, this is very classic, almost um, almost Conan-like story. Once you get to, you know, Ogun's reintroduction and there, you know, she has to, Nandi has to go into the castle and defeat the demons, and she gets to the throne room, and there it is, this gem. You'll know what to do. You'll know what to do, but, you know, the gem is tempting her. It's like, ooh, grab it, grab it. You'll have power beyond your match. Wildest dreams, you know, work with us, and she decides to smash it. Right, and she gets a little uh, pissed off at Ogun. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, hey, and why didn't you help me out back there? Well, no, she, he did help her out. He did help her he, out. He but, her... but when when she says, "Why didn't you help me out back there?" She was talking about the village, right? Well, no, but she she's pissed off because a for that, but also because okay, helped her out. She doesn't feel like it was her victory. 
Right. It's like, well, you know, I didn't do anything. It was always your choice to make, you know. Yeah, I mean, I helped you defeat a bunch of thugs, but the real decision was yours. That's right. You know, that's that's how you handle an all-powerful NPC. Is that a hint? (laughs) But, um, yeah, I mean, I like this story. This one was rather short as well. Yeah, it was this actually was probably the shortest story in the book. And it, it proceeded at a breakneck pace. I mean, it was over and you were like, wow, it's over already? I know. But it was it was also a satisfying ending. You know, all the loose ends were wrapped up. It's like, well, mm-hmm. you know, now it's time for you to go home. Well, I can't go home. It's okay. I sent them dreams. Now, I like... Tell them you were working for me. It's all okay. I like revisiting Nandi. Yeah, yeah, um, because I mean, this is years later. It seems. Yeah, it's it's not only that, but it's got a different feel to this story than to her origin story in the previous volume. Yeah, um, where, where, well, really, in the last one, she was very grateful to Ogan for helping her out and mm-hmm. helping her, you know, become a warrior. Right. And facilitating that and giving her her destiny. And this one, she was a little like, why didn't you let me handle that myself? Right. Why did you single me out when when uh, the village was getting sick? Mm-hmm. And, you know, Nogan's like, what do you mean? I'm a you did all the plan. work. I'm a god. I have a plan. I have a plan. And you're part of that plan, Nandi. Just remember that. Yeah. So yeah, it was great seeing Nandi again, and uh, hopefully there's a third Griot's book, or perhaps a full length Nandi novel, or Nandi anthology, or Nandi anthology. That would be nice. Yeah, we'd like to see more Nandi. Yeah. So batting cleanup here, right at the end, we have Kapandu. A Dosoye story by and Charles Saunders. Charles Saunders is the undisputed king. <laughs> he is the fucking Jack Kirby of Sword and Soul. Of this whole, uh, beyond that, of Sword and Sorcery. I mean, the man, the man's a fucking genius. Sorry if I, if I sound a little. He's, I mean, just, it's a pleasure reading these stories. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and this is the last story in the book. Um, you know, you, you, you start the story at a very sad moment. Dosoye's, you know, partner in crime, the, the, um, her trusty steed, her trusty steed, the, the, the war bull. Uh, what is it? Gabo. Um, dies and you know Desoye is is a recurring character for Saunders and it's it's one of those moments that you never want one of the supporting cast to die you you don't want the, you don't want to see the death of the sidekick right but you know he's old this is this is later on in 
and Desoyer's life. She had settled down and started a, a uh, community of warrior women. Mm-hmm. The free ones. And yeah, so, you know, Gabo dies and it's like, look, sorry, you know, no time to mourn. We got bigger problems. Right. Because they're being attacked by mm-hmm. a band of mercenaries who have been hired by a mysterious cult mm-hmm. to take the women alive. Yep. And we have, a, they have a, a mercenary, they have a wizard. And, you know, and most of the story is that battle. Mm-hmm. The, the, the moments leading up to the battle and the battle itself. And the ins and outs of the thought process of the battle. It's not just a battle. And it, it's one thing that Saunders does really, really well when he's mm-hmm. in an action scene is he gets you into the mind of the protagonist. Oh, yes. We, 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 we flip back and forth between Dosoye and... And the the mercenary leader, the mercenary captain, whose name is escaping me, because I didn't write it down. Right, Muhalu, Muhalu, and we flip back and forth between you know what's going on in Muhalu's mind, what's going on in Dosoye's mind, and you know the the two of them are very similar. Um. They're they're strategists. They're strategists. They are, you know, both accomplished warriors. They are equals about to meet on the field of battle. Right. And you know, the mercenaries failing is that they have to take them alive. Right. You know, Which like, is- you know the only way we're gonna you know, he's thinking the only way we're gonna win is we have to kill them. We can't fight these people. Mm-hmm. You know, and and take them alive. We have well, we, to kill them. Well, because Desoye realizes this fairly early on in the battle that they're trying to take them alive, and and that they don't have to. They don't have that restriction. Mm-hmm. Now they have some powerful sorcery on, on both their, sides. Um, well, mainly on the the mercenary side, because mm-hmm. early on they took out the the free ones' uh, main sorcerer. Food, yeah. They took her out, right? Well, no, no. They they they, they took out their food supply with sorcery, mm-hmm. but they also took out their sorcerer. Um, right, I first. Her name. Right, that was the first thing they did. Was she had um, put a shield around the around the the village or whatever you want to call it? Mm-hmm. And he came in with like this spell that bound her in tendrils mm-hmm. and started to choke the life out of her. And he and he still had. It took a lot out of him, but he still had. You know, they had the enchanted nets. Mm-hmm. They had a lot going on their side. I mean, so I think in a fair fight, the free ones in Desoye would have just creamed them, mm-hmm. like in a straight up fight. But because of the, you know, the various enchantments by the sorcerers, you get it evened out. Mm-hmm. That really is one of the one one of the problems is. When you have these larger-than-life, um, jack-of-all-trades, fantastic characters like Imaru and Desoye, Conan, 
you, you have, they're so good that you either have ridiculously powerful villains for them to fight, or you have to make situations mm-hmm. where they are at a disadvantage. Yes. Sorcery, having to capture them alive, you know, there's different techniques. And Saunders does a really good job with that. Yes, he does. Yes, because he does. both of his main characters are like superhuman. Mm-hmm. Now we also get a third perspective, and it is the surprise of the story. It's a mysterious unknown entity, right? Who is who is coming? And you know, you get this action sequence, and then then italics. You know, he he had to get there in time. He had to get there, you know, and like just in the nick of time, this character arrives and it is a war bull. You know, turns out to be the son of Gabo and a a spirit. There's some weird hanky panky. Right. That references previous material. But explained well enough that you don't necessarily have to have read the previous material. Right. It's there for the for the old heads mm-hmm. who, who want that fan service. And it is explained well enough and not dwelt upon for people who haven't had are unfamiliar with the backstory. Right. Right. It's um it's a way to it's replace the character and effectively upgrade the character as well. Right. And yeah. And right in the nick of time, the character arrives and this is the titular, uh, Kapendu. Who proceeds to just wade through right. the, the mercenaries with no quarter. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the free ones were bolstered by his sudden appearance. Right. Because that's part of the legend is that Dosoye and, and Gabo are, were a team. Right. You know, the devil woman and the devil beast. Right. You know, and that together they just like decimate. Right. You know, Especially artists. at this point, the, the mercenaries realized that they weren't taking these people alive, these women alive, unless Dosoye was dead. Their main prize couldn't be captured alive, so they had to kill right. her. Mm-hmm. And that's where we were when, when Kapendu shows up. Right. And she's on the verge of death herself. Yep. Desperate. Uh, she fell from her horse. Her, her lieutenant also fell from her horse and was crushed in the process. Mm-hmm. And, was getting and the horse is reared up and it's about to drive its hose down on top of her. And Kapendu arrives and slices, spills the intestines of the horse. Yes, how dare you ride a horse when you have a bull? Yep. And there we are. And and it is. And it, once again, this is this is kind of one of those. Anytime you have a a large battle, you have that kind of pirate victory where. You know, yes, we're victorious. We shall remain free, sisters. But, but now you know, they know where we are, and they're all a bunch of jealous assholes, so we have to move. So we have to bury our dead and move. Yeah. 
And so it's kind of bittersweet ending. Mm-hmm. But I thought this was a fantastic way to close out the book. Oh, yeah. Just the energy of that story, the energy of Saunders' writing. I'm waiting on Griot's three. Griot's three. Yep. The so that was. Gold. <laughs> so that was Griot's Sisters of the Spear. Fantastic book. Yeah. You can get it from MV Media. Yep. You can get it. You can get digital copies through iTunes, through Amazon. You can get physical and digital copies from MV Media, which is what you want to do. Because That's right. like we always say you want to have a physical copy of this book. Yeah. You want it to be proud on your shelf. That's correct. Because, you know, there's just something about physical copies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, digital versions are, you know, they're they're... They're cheaper because of what they are. Well, and they're convenient. And they're very convenient. You put them on your phone, you put them on your tablet, put them on your laptop, whatever. You know, whenever you have your electronic device, which for many, many people is pretty much all the time. Right. uh, You can take it with you. You know, physical copy, yeah, you have to put it somewhere. Mine's a library book, so I had to be extra careful that the kids didn't spill the coffee on it and stuff like that. Um, you know, plus there's always the risk of, you know, oh, I left it in the bathroom or left it at work. Mallory Romero would kill you for leaving a book in the bathroom, for even taking a book into the bathroom. Hey, you got to read when you can, man. <laughs> Especially when you have to read a book for, for a podcast. That's true. When you have like a week to read it. <laughs> yeah. So, excellent book. Uh, pick it up, no matter whether it's digital or physical, you know, because you know, Sword and Soul is, you know, really is a is a, a mode of writing, a mode of uh, speculative fiction that really needs to be not only explored more, but supported by more fans of heroic fiction. Yeah, and that's the thing is, you know, um, it's 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 the next logical step for, for this genre mm-hmm. because it takes out that inherent um, just othering that, mm-hmm. that traditionally happens in sword and sorcery. And we've talked about this where um, none of these stories, yes, you have others, you have other nations, you have other, um, you have demons, you have, you have a lot of others, but none of them are belittling. Right. And, and, you know, you have a a, a rich tradition in sword and sorcery of having the other being uh, a belittling character who leaves out vast swaths of readership who would get so much more out of reading it. If it was a little bit more inclusive. And I'm not saying that you have to sit around in a, in a, drum circle and sing kumbaya and love everybody but you can be decent enough that where not all of your villains are yellow peril right and that's like the aside from being well written and what and and interesting that is the thing that sword and sorcery brings to this is a sense of just human inclusiveness mm-hmm it's uh, it's it's sword and sorcery and fantasy that 
that is more reflective of the world. Yeah. Yep. And with that, uh, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time around. Yes, sir. Good night, everybody. Good night.